I know a lot of people, you know, why doesn't she just leave? Why doesn't she just leave? You know, the comments till death goes part. Um, you're never gonna get away from me. I will always find you. I'll punish you through the children. The definition of domestic violence is an intentional pattern of behavior used to gain power and control over the victim. It is a pervasive problem, and in Bear County, the numbers show domestic violence is increasingly deadly. But every single day, there are people working to help save lives and get survivors out of their abusive relationships. Every story is different, um, so and every client is different. It is extremely important. This is somebody's life on the line. We care about these victims. We care about the children that we're trying to help. We're going to do everything in our power to help you. One of the tools at their disposal, protective orders. But when it comes to what protective orders are and what they actually do, there's often confusion. Some people say that protective orders are just a piece of paper. And I guess in, in a way they are. But how they empower a victim a survivor and their children is is priceless. In this episode, we're explaining what you need to know about a protective order, hearing the incredible stories of domestic abuse survivors who are offering advice to others who are looking for a way out. And we're also meeting those who make it their mission to get victims help. KSAT explains. KSAT explains. KSAT explains. KSAT explains. in-depth perspective. Perspective on stories we bring you in our newscasts throughout the day. We're looking into concerns over voting safety during a pandemic and the battle over mail-in voting. A look at how the protests and demonstrations have played out in our city and an examination of what it means to be black in San Antonio. An issue that you have likely felt the effects of, rising property taxes. The roots of Tejano run deep in South Texas. We examine the cultural impact the music has had in San Antonio. This week, the team is tackling the topic of protective orders, a court order domestic violence survivors can apply for to keep their abusers away. Thanks for joining us for this episode of KSAT Explains. I'm Myra Arthur. Right from the beginning, we want to let you know that some of the stories you will hear in this episode are raw. They are hard to take in. We talked to two brave women who survived their abusive relationships and are now sharing their stories now that they're on the other side, trying to offer others hope and guidance on the resources that they used to get to where they are now. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, but this is a problem that exists 365 days a year. And for those who make it their mission to help victims find that way out, that's often the nature of the job, one that never truly ends. They build relationships with victims, helping them every step of the way to become survivors. We'll share information with you about those resources that are available anytime right here in our community. You'll see that information scrolling across the bottom of your screen throughout this show. But first, we want to hear from those two women who lived. It was uh, late 2016 when we met each other. He took me home to meet his mom, and turns out his mom was my parents' landlord. It's very subtle at first. Um, abusers gift wrap it. They, they give it to you in this pretty package so you don't realize it. They start to isolate you, but you don't realize it's isolation. If I'm gonna go with my sister, he would be like, 
well, why do you have to go with your sister? You're with her all the time. I want to spend time with you. People stop inviting you to things because you're never going. I had no control of any financials, no control of anything. You know, the fact that his mom was my parents' land, landlady, when we would get into arguments, he would always kind of throw out, well, now your parents are going to be homeless. The physical abuse just like whew, escalated. The abuse got worse to the point of strangulation. He held a shotgun to my stomach. Strangling me um, to the point where I black out, biting me, ripping out my hair. And they escalated in the beginning, they weren't like that. You know, it was just like a smack here, a push here, a bump there. And as sad as it is, is that it was actually encouraged by his father um, to put me in my place. Nearly 30 years. Nearly 30 years. Then there was another huge incident. And at that time, again, the chain of command was involved in they informed me, where are you going to go? You already have another child on the way. You don't have, you know, a very high education. It's best to um, learn to deal with it. I reached out to local authorities on numerous occasions. I was even told that um, it was my fault, that it is because I keep dropping the charges. And I was like, no, that's the court's decision. That is not my decision. Due to COVID and us having to be home in the lockdown, it put us in, so to speak, the lion's den. You know, there, we weren't able to escape. The children were home and I had to be home because in good conscience, I could not leave my children alone with him. It is chaotic now, but it's peaceful. I don't feel like I'm walking on glass. My children, there's laughter in the house. There's dancing in the house. The way Elizabeth escaped her abuser was an incredibly close call. She says that he was high on drugs that day, paranoid that someone was watching their home. He told her to pack their car because they were leaving. She says that's when she saw an opportunity. She loaded that car so full that their kids couldn't fit. He said he was leaving to drop off those belongings somewhere else and he would be back. The second he pulls out of that driveway, I grab my kids. I walk down to a friend's house. So my six-year-old, I left with a friend. It was going to be easier to get away with just the baby. I was like, he's gone. I need to grab the birth certificates for the kids. I need to grab some clothes. I need to grab diapers for the baby. I need to grab some essentials. So we get back home, I start barricading the front door. I start packing everything and putting everything outside the back door. I go next door to the neighbor. I ask her to borrow the phone. The only phone number that I had memorized was my cousin's. I call my cousin, my cousin was in New Braunfels. She was like, I'll be there as soon as I can. It's rush hour. He had turned back. He said he had a feeling 
He turned back early and he caught me leaving. So when a victim is leaving, she's in the most danger. He stabbed me that day. He choked me. He cavity searched me. At this point, the baby is seven weeks old, barely seven weeks old. He grabs the baby and he starts to take off. We start going back and forth fighting because I'm trying to take the baby from him. Well, he puts the baby's head into the wall. The baby had been screaming up to that point because obviously he has all this stimulation, right? The baby stopped. Like there was no stimulation at all. And that scared the crap out of me. And it scared him too enough for him to, and I grabbed the baby from him. And at that point I didn't care. I ran toward the street and like to this day, <laughs> It puts a lump in my throat because I ran to the street and my cousin was three houses down and she saw me and she sped up and she threw the door open and I jumped in the car and we left. I'm not a victim anymore, I'm a survivor. All you can do is fight and fight and fight and then end up on the other side because it is beautiful on the other side if you don't do it now when when for yourself and when for your children because you know the circumstances could have been very different for me i could possibly not even be sitting here both women survived but they wouldn't be where they are today without the help of organizations right here in our own community. One of those in Bear County is the Family Justice Center, and it is unique. Only three exist in the entire state. So what sets them apart? It's a community collaboration. The center is housed on the second floor of the Archives Building on East Nueva Street. The Bear County Courthouse and the District Attorney's Office are all within walking distance. The center brings different agencies and services together under one roof. Police officers, prosecutors, advocates, a food pantry, child therapies, adult counseling, and more, all in one centralized location to make it easier for victims of violence to get help. Every story is different. Um, so, and every client is different as well. So you have to have a passion for it. If you don't have a passion for it, it's, it's not something that you should be doing. Domestic violence happens to everybody. Like I've seen from different economic levels to Hispanic, to white, to poor, to children, to women, to men that I think we misconstrue that it's just something that happens to women. As some people know, it's one of the hardest populations to work with because domestic violence not only impacts the individual victim, but it's also the family. It's your friends, it's your family members, it's the people you work with. We care about these victims. We care about the children that we're trying to help. These are just a few of the people who work at the Bear County Family Justice Center. They help victims figure out what's next. And it's not just domestic violence victims. They also help abused children, human trafficking, and stalking victims. Anyone who is on the receiving end of threatening behavior. Most of their referrals come from law enforcement, encouraging victims to file a protective order. Protective orders are often confused with restraining orders. A restraining order is used in civil lawsuits. They can protect property or a person. A protective order is used when there are criminal allegations. It requires the abuser to stop harming the other person. 
If the abuser violates that order, it can lead to criminal charges and jail time. Brina Monterosa explains how the Family Justice Center helps with protective orders and much more. Some people say that protective orders are just a piece of paper, and I guess in, in a way they are, but how they empower a victim, a survivor, and their children is, is priceless. But first, there's a process, a legal process that takes time. We don't have the authority to issue protective orders. Um, we have the authority to act on your behalf in seeking a protective order, but it's not, as, it's not as simple as picking up the phone and calling and saying, hey, DA's office, I need a protective order. Here's how it works if you're seeking a protective order or a PO. The process is all virtual. You can call the Family Justice Center hotline, or if you already know you need a protective order, you can fill out an intake form on the district attorney's website. A crime victim liaison is the first contact for those in crisis. You'll get a call the same day. The incident had happened. Um, I was given the resources. I reached out. They responded to me within the same day. And I would have to say less than 10 days, everything was, the ball was rolling. There are three crime victim liaisons at the center. Nathan Hansen is one of them. And we're almost like an emergency room. We're triaging them. We're trying to figure out where they're at in that process. What kind of help can we offer them, not only when it comes to law enforcement with the protective order, maybe the client just wants counseling. Maybe they're not ready to leave their abuser because that's all they've known. If you move forward with requesting a protective order, you'll go through a background check. After that comes a danger assessment. It's measuring the lethality score, how serious of an incident is, how likely is it that the abuser has the ability to kill our victims. The danger assessment provides a score. That score tells the FJC just how bad your situation is and whether you'll need to be placed on the high-risk list. That will get you a temporary protective order. Some scenarios that qualify include having an abuser point a gun at you, being assaulted while pregnant, or other acts of serious bodily injury. If they report having been strangled, they also do a strangulation assessment. Uh, strangulation is a, an extreme indicator of uh, potential homicide. It takes 15 to 20 days between the time a protective order case is filed and when it's ready to go before a district court judge. It's much quicker if you're flagged as a high-risk case. We're talking three days. That's how quickly they move through applying for a protective order to having a temporary protective order that's effective and in full force and effect. And that's a conservative number. Most of the time it's done within 24 hours. During this process, victims are connected with an advocate. Irma Alvarez is the protective order supervisor. Advocates, as well as myself, we pull police reports or we request them. We look up criminal histories. We do all of the background work that we need to do in order to give a complete file to our attorneys for them to review. It's helpful for domestic violence victims to have evidence to bolster the case for a protective order. That can include police reports or case numbers. If you haven't made a police report, that's okay. There are San Antonio police officers at the FJC to help you with that. Other evidence, photos of your injuries, notes, letters, video, audio recordings, copies of emails, social media chats, text messages, all things that may be hard to track down as you're trying to leave, but survivors say are crucial. The first thing that they'll tell you, that, that an officer will tell you, is change your number, delete your Facebook, delete your Instagram, all of those things so he can't find you. Well, that's all well and good. But if you do all of those things, you may not be able to prove that your abuser is still trying to contact you 
and you will not get that protective order. A protective order, you have to be able to speak to a pattern of behavior. It's a trying process, physically and mentally. The burden of proof is on us. For me, one of the most challenging parts is um, walking them through that system. And sometimes you lose um, a victim. They don't, they don't ultimately want to leave. And so you're, you're, you're more than an attorney, you're a counselor. And so you're counseling them, you know, these are all the reasons you should leave and, and you're uh, safety planning with them. And so that human element of relating to these individuals who are in crisis and trying to pull them out um, when sometimes they're not ready, that, that's the hardest part. Jordan Cadenhead is a felony prosecutor. She gets the case once the victim's advocate has fully captured their story. The attorney evaluates the case and determines whether or not it meets the elements to apply for a protective order. We get creative. If individuals don't necessarily want protective orders, there's always other options. If a district court judge approves a protective order, the person you filed against must get served. That's Yvette Martinez's job, and it's a difficult one. I use a lot of law enforcement tools, and I run people through to find where they live, where they work. Um, I make calls. I talk to our victims, who are probably the best source that I have to look for people. When it's a protective order for a high-risk client, she doesn't stop until she finds the abuser. It's basically all hours of the day and night. But every case is important to Martinez. This is somebody's life on the line. I don't want it on my conscience or on us that if something happens to this victim that we didn't put forth all the effort to find and serve this paperwork. The losses they'll never forget. I specifically remember um, we were at a different building and um, it was during working hours and um, we, when, one of the clients that had just been through our office um, left our office and um, she, was, she was murdered outside of our office. And so you asked me how that, how that made us feel. We felt horrible. There's no words to say. You don't ever want to lose a client, never. People at the FJC will tell you working in domestic violence requires perseverance and dedication, and their work never stops. It is something that I guess most of the time when I go home at night. Yeah, it's, um, it's hard to leave it behind. Yeah, sometimes. Your job as a prosecutor is not eight to five, and that's that's something people don't understand. They think, oh, it's just another case to them. It's it's not just another case. Um, we put a lot of ourselves into these cases. They know a protective order isn't a bulletproof vest, but these advocates say they will do everything they can to save you. At the end of the day, if someone's going to do something, they're going to do it. However. You can't allow that to impede on you living your life. The thing that I would tell survivors is do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Fight to get that protective order. It may be impossible to end domestic violence. There are no clear-cut, easy solutions. But it's important not to turn away from the problem because combating domestic violence requires awareness and compassion. It's a problem that isn't going away, and some believe it's getting worse, particularly since the start of the pandemic. 228 Texans died because of domestic violence last year, a 23% increase from 2019. 
17 people in Bear County died due to domestic violence. That's a 31% increase from 2019. Knowing how to spot red flags is the key to prevention. Here are just a few, courtesy of the National Domestic Violence Hotline. If your loved one is in a relationship with someone who intentionally embarrasses them or puts them down or prevents them from seeing friends and family, if you see someone being prevented from making their own decisions or things like destroying property and harming pets. One survivor we talked to says it was hard to see the red flags when she was in her abusive relationship, but they're clear now in hindsight. The cliche of the upbringing of, well, if he's adamant and he pursues you, you know, that's, that's a demonstration of love and it's not. You know, that whole like, you know, them being kind of mean to you is because they like you. It's not. If you know someone in a domestic violence situation, compassion can go a long way. I wish more people understood how hard it is for some of our victims, because if you've never been a victim of domestic violence, you don't fully comprehend all of the ups and downs and patience. It's not uncommon for friends and family members of victims to get frustrated if it takes multiple tries before their loved one leaves an abusive relationship for good. It's very easy for family members or friends to say, we'll just leave. And sometimes it's not that simple. They don't have money. They don't have education. Maybe they have two or three kids and they're faced with, you know, he, he hits me, but at least my kids are fed. There's so many issues at play. There's so many reasons why a survivor uh, stays in an abusive relationship. It's not their fault. We shouldn't judge them. And for a lot of survivors, that's one of the factors that stops them from reaching out for help. A fear of being judged, a fear they won't be believed. The fear of not being able to make it on your own. They feel that embarrassment. They don't want people to pass judgment. But those we spoke to say the first step is reaching out if you think you need help. But coming here, they connected me with you know, counselors and therapists and resources, and I utilize them. It's all inclusive. So it's very much like here are your resources, contact them. You know, they did follow up to check on us to see if we needed anything periodically. And I appreciate that. Um, but it's just making that, that first step and following through. And if you're watching this and you want advice about what steps you need to take before applying for a protective order, here's Elizabeth's perspective. Get all of your important documents in place if you can. So birth certificates, social security numbers, shot records for your kids, get all of that. The other thing is let your support system know. Now support system doesn't necessarily always mean mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, right? It can also mean your OBGYN. It can mean the ladies at the daycare. It, you let them know, hey, this is what's going on. I'm just letting you know right now because there's going to be a change in things coming. As for those who work in this field, who hear those stories of abuse and neglect day in and day out, who work with a client only to have that victim go back to their abuser on occasion, or worse, to fall victim to domestic homicide, we ask them what keeps them going despite the challenges they face in this field. There's these nuggets of time, these moments, uh, I like to call them God winks, where a survivor, you encounter a survivor, and they, 
they pull you aside and they say, I don't know if you remember me, but you help me. I left this relationship and I got my education and I, you know, have three kids, two, three kids, you know, and my life is turned around because of what you did for me. And you think back on them and, and you think, I, I did make a difference. We made a difference. So it, it helps you to, to move forward and to keep doing what you're doing. And so for me, just serving these protective orders, it makes me feel good. I'm like knowing that I helped somebody. The difference that the people who work in this field make can be seen in these two survivors. I'm able to sleep. It's very much the simple things. I'm able to sleep. I am able to buy myself the basic necessities that you know people aren't aware that I've had to go without. Um, I'm furthering my education. Um, there are organizations out there that are assisting me with that. Um, and I hope in the end, you know, I will be able to acquire my PhD. There is beautiful things on the other side, but the struggle does make it worth it. So don't give up because I've seen people give up and they end up right back in the same position. If you or someone you know is in a domestic abuse relationship and needs information on ways to get out, resources available, we have all of that information posted in the web article for this episode on ksat.com slash explains. Thanks for watching. I'm Myra Arthur, and we'll see you next time.